When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome back to Travel Talks. Now we've got episode 41 today and we are very, very excited to be joined by Robbie Knox. But before we get into that, this week's episode is sponsored by Zencaster. Now Zencaster is an online podcast and audio video call recording service and it is an absolute game changer for remote podcasting and recording calls. Yeah, so if you've ever wanted to start a podcast or you have a podcast that you need to take up a level with your remote recording, Zencaster is the recording software for you. You can try it for free without paying anything. And if you like it as much as we do, because we use it on Travel Talks, you can upgrade to the professional membership by using the discount code TRAVELTALKS. One word, all lowercase, and you'll get 40% off the first three months, which also helps us keep making this podcast. Now, onto this week's episode. Anybody that's familiar with the UK YouTube scene or listens to the immensely successful happy hour podcast or like both of us spent a youth watching <laughs> the original soccer am tv madness unfold or is into craft beer <laughs> or just loves a ruddy good day at the dump <laughs> you'll know the name robbie knox yeah so who is robbie firstly he's a good friend of yours Sordners, but also Indeed. he's part of the original cast and crew and set up with a mega successful football show soccer am but more recently a bit of a youtube phenomenon and one of my favorite youtubers his channel where he talks about all the parts of life we take for granted celebrating the mundane has taken off in a big way in the last few years Saunders, you've even made an appearance on it too yeah yeah and you'll now also hear him as part of the happy hour podcast trio alongside jack mate and stevie but within all of that there's also a huge passion for travel something that has been part of robbie's life whatever he's been up to so we are buzzing to have him on the podcast and get into those stories Mr. Robbie Knox, thank you very much for joining us on the Travel Talks podcast. It's so good to have you here. Uh, first of all, how are you doing, mate? I'm very excited. This is my favourite thing in the world to talk about is travel. Although my favourite thing is probably to go travelling. Um, <laughs> but um, sadly, that's been, I don't know if you've heard, but there's been quite a big pandemic on. And so it's not really been an option recently. So this is the next best thing. So we always ask this question to our guests. Mm. How important is travel to you? I think it's it's hugely. I think it's... Throughout my life, I think it's been important. I think it, it, it's very formative if, you, if people go traveling in in mm. in their youth, and I think it, it shapes them for life. I think we've seen that in a lot of stuff. I mean, Brexit, for example, I think not many people I know who have seen the world were supportive of that sort of thing. I think it, mm. it, it, it sort of it, it, I've seen the world. That sounds um, positive, as in people who've traveled around and experienced these things. And I've got friends who just went traveling for years and then they went lived in Barcelona for a bit and all this sort of stuff. But I, th- I think, yeah. yeah, I think I, I went, I didn't do a lot of traveling in my youth and go on holidays as in up until 
I was I was left uni really, but then after that I went to Canada for a year and mm. um, I lived out there. I think I think seeing the world and seeing different people and all the different opportunities and stuff available to you, I think is is fantastic. So that's interesting because the next thing we were going to ask is about what travel looked like when you were younger. You know what what it meant to you as a kid. So what, so if that wasn't it didn't really come about till later in life, did you say? Well, I went I went um, on family holidays, but they were generally mm. to. Um, Lanzarote, Malta, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. Canary Islands, sort of thing like that. Um, and, I, and then I don't really remember going, we didn't go for weekends away and stuff like that, because it was sort of, it was before budget airlines, really, mm. and and just just didn't really do it. We went on one family holiday that was outside of Europe. Um, well, I mean, I suppose Canary Islands are outside of Europe, aren't they? But, but you know, it doesn't really count. Yeah, technically. Um, <laughs> but I think um, what, we went to Barbados when I was 16, which was amazing oh, nice. seeing somewhere. Oh, nice. um, like that. Barbados was like, the in the like, 90s, was like the Dubai of, of, of Florida yeah. of these days. So I think that was the sort of aspirational. The, the Caribbean was much more of a sort of thing than it seems to be now. And everyone talks about yeah. the Caribbean anymore. Um, <laughs> so we did that. That was the only real um, beyond Europe holiday. But we didn't really do much traveling. And then when I went to... Uni, we did like a you know, sort of lads trip abroad mm. sort of thing. And I did the a weekend on the Eurostar and to places or like things like that. But then it was only after that that I really started traveling to more obscure places, more interesting places, if you will. So so when you think about those those trips you did when you were younger, like even just little holidays, little week-long things or whatever, do you have any experiences that you kind of draw back to you and think like, oh yeah, that was probably the time where I thought, oh, I quite like being, you know, out of my comfort zone or I quite like hot climates or anything like that? I don't think so. No, because I don't think I got particularly into traveling until afterwards. I, my mum was very encouraging of me to travel after mm. uni and saying you shouldn't and, and see things, which is good. But, but certainly growing up, no, we go on holidays, but... I don't think I necessarily had any holidays that I was particularly into. Like I was a lot mm. of the time, it would be like I would, we'd go on a holiday for two weeks, and I'd be missing a football tournament at home or something like that. And I'd be like, <laughs> I quite like to be back home. So I don't think I really got into. I don't think I really understood the, the things. And also, you'd get put in kids clubs. I never particularly like going and being put into sure. kids clubs and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, I went on a few school trips. I went skiing a couple of times as a kid, but never really, which was interesting, but. It, my close friends weren't necessarily there, so it was people I didn't know that well. So I don't think I particularly enjoyed those early. I'm certainly really miserable. <laughs> I don't think, but I don't think there was a particularly a, a thing prior to 18 that I, that I particularly was into. Mm. No. So you're a parent yourself now, so I'm interested mm. to know how similar is the way that you travelled as a child to how you now travel with your children? Completely different. What have you learned perhaps about travelling as a parent that perhaps you didn't realise when you were a kid? The expense of things, like quite a lot. <laughs> like if we're going away as a family, like, like if you if you're getting, if you go to an airport and flying mm. somewhere, five flights, it might not look mm. much at Ooh. first, but then when you add on baggages and baggage and stuff like yeah. that, and and if you're going in a school holiday, it's mm. you can easily. So we went to Portugal a few years ago. It was the last abroad family holidays that we, we took on a plane. And I think the flights alone probably came to about a thousand pounds. And that was the cheapest possible flights we could find on yeah. convenient dates to us sort of thing. So that's, that's what I was used to when I was younger. I'd just find a cheap place to go to in my twenties mm. and go and go there and you get flights around a hundred quid or whatever. But mm. um, so that, so there's a lot of getting ferries to France and driving yeah. somewhere to Eurocamp. Yeah. 
Um, so that sort of stuff. But but yeah, in terms of how different it is, yeah, I, I tend to go. There's when my, I'm traveling with my wife, she wants slightly more comfort. She, she'll get more stressed by the stressful side of things, whereas mm. I will be much happier. I, I tend to go away when my kids are three or four. Yeah, three. The first two, I took them away independently, just me and a three-year-old, which is a brilliant... Mm. If you're ever bored of the world, go on holiday with a three-year-old. It's a bit weird if you haven't got a three-year-old <laughs> of your own. But it's, it's terrific because they're going like, wow, can we go... They like love like a hotel breakfast. Is like, this is incredible. <laughs> They'll see like a, something interesting like that. It's, it's so good. It's such a great age, three or four. But the problem is Arlo, my youngest, is four now. And he's just turned, and and he, it's been throughout a pandemic. He's he, since he yeah. was three, sort of thing. So we haven't really been anywhere yet. But I want to get away for a weekend mm. with him at some point. But no, I, I think it's it's. I just want to get them out as much and to see as much of the world and and as as is humanly possible. Nice, nice. Okay, so we're gonna fast forward a little bit, and mm-hmm. you already mentioned it a bit, but I know I've talked to you in the past about your ski seasons. Yeah. Um. So first of all, what decide what what kind of encourage you to decide to move to a life in the mountains at least for a season how did that come about and where did you go i was at uni at uea in norwich and i i didn't know what i wanted to do after uni but literally a um a girl i was going out with at the time was in a i was meeting on campus and she was at the careers library and i've never been to the careers library before <laughs> <laughs> so I went, oh, okay it's our third year probably should have checked oh. out and i went there and there were like leaf and there was leaflets there about going to Canada or going to Australia and I looked mm. at it and Canada at the time you could only get a visa the as soon as you finish uni Australia you get up to your 30s so I thought well I'll go to Canada because then if I decide I want to go to Australia afterwards I can still do that mm. don't want to cut, cut off the options sort of things so I went so I went okay I'll do that um went to Toronto for a week wasn't that keen went over to Vancouver liked it a lot more and then I was just in there and I was looking for things to do and I thought well just up the road was Whistler and I was living in Vancouver, which is obviously a very different life and very different. But I thought, I'm not going to get another chance to go and work and live in a mountain. That's like a different experience. Mm. And I mm. didn't want to, again, didn't want to miss out on FOMO. Didn't want to miss out on that. So I thought, <laughs> well, I'll go and do that for, for six months and then come back to Vancouver. So I just went up there for the entire ski season that year in 98, 99. So how did you go from being someone that necessarily wasn't that into travel in your sort of teens, going to university and then suddenly you'd be like, you know what, I'm going to move to Canada? <laughs> Well, because I just think I hadn't really had the opportunity to go travel. I mean, beyond holiday. I mean, I didn't... I suppose when you're under 16, you don't go anywhere unless your parents are taking you. Yeah, um, yeah I don't know. I just, I just thought, well, that's... It's, I didn't, didn't really want to get a job. I thought I'd, I'd quite like uni. I thought this seems like a sort of nice step between it, doing a bit of work, but also other stuff. So I thought I'll just go. And it was like a working holiday visa. So I'm working in, in Vancouver. I was working at a petrol station. Uh, uh, coffee shop until I got sacked and then I went to the petrol station and then up to um Whistler so so I don't know just decided to do it I guess I think there's a story there I think there's a story there oh we're getting sacked so it was a dignified <laughs> sacking because the same people owned the coffee shop and the petrol station okay. I think essentially I I didn't really know I I spent too much time talking to customers and not enough time serving <laughs> customers and I think they wanted a quicker turnover of customers so but they never didn't ever tell me this and it has taught me now in a place where I now sometimes employ people to tell them if things aren't going well because the first time yeah. I knew that anything wasn't good was they said you can't work here anymore I was like all oh, right okay <laughs> um but they did they said look you can't work here anymore it's not right for you but we have a pet we have a petrol station it's exactly the same pay you can go work there if you want so I went 
yep, fine. So it was like it was a it was a we like you, but this isn't right. Move over here, sort yeah. of thing. So it was it was it was it was fine. But yeah, I think in hindsight it was a bit too chatty, not enough working. Of all the reasons to be sacked from anywhere, that's quite dignified, like you say. It's, it's good, not like it? you were siphoning off fuel or anything. No, <laughs> I wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't stealing from the coffee shop. No, I um, <laughs> yeah, and it was and it was nice to sort of like. To go back to the same place, it's the best. It's the best possible sacking I think I've had. <laughs> Just to bring it back to the skiing, mm. as someone who's never been skiing, I'm going to speak on behalf of the people who are listening who yep. haven't ever been and perhaps have played around with the idea of wanting to go. So, how would you convince me and everyone listening that we should give it a go? What does the day to day look like? Okay, it's the it's the best holiday. It's it's I would I would happily never go on another summer holiday and go skiing once a year. Or so. Wow. Okay. Um, it, I get bored on beaches. I think I'm mm. going to like it. And I go, oh, I'm going to do so much reading. But when you've read for like four hours, yeah. it's like, <laughs> I'm quite bored of reading. This is yeah. not... A, I like reading, but I don't like reading every day, all day, for, yeah. for weeks. And then also, but you're just sort of killing time till you start drinking, and then you can't really read anymore. <laughs> so there's a lot of flaws. There's a lot of flaws with beach holidays for me. Like I, I, I like a city break, and I like going somewhere like Barcelona where you can go to the beach for a bit mm. and then you can go and do other stuff so the 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 i was i was there in in canada and then when i came back i was working at soccer am and we couldn't take holiday during the football mm. season so what i but i wanted to go skiing so what i'd do is i'd i organize a ski trip for friends I've, i emailed a few friends at first said look i really want to go skiing i can go on the monday i can go on the saturday sorry after the show finishes ski mm. sunday monday and fly back really early tuesday morning Anyone wow, okay. I don't think anyone. I don't think anyone would be interested. Um, but I eventually, I think we had like 12, 13 people going that first oh, wow, year. Wow. And, it, and then I did it every year. And eventually we managed to negotiate with soccer to get an extra, a one day off. So we'd come back on the Wednesday morning instead wow, of the Tuesday. Okay. So I get an extra day sort of thing. Um, but in the end, I, I sort of peak. I was having, we had like 40 people a year. And it was like friends and friends of friends. That's amazing. So the, people I've, the people I only ever see. So I was chartering coaches in France and stuff like that. I was like arranging this. I go, right, everyone. <laughs> what I do is I go, everyone book their own flights because that's too much hassle. Yeah. Sometimes I'd book hotels. Otherwise, I go, with this hotel's got room for everyone. Everyone book independently. I can help you pair mm. up if you don't know people, if you need if you need help with rooms and all that. But for the transfer, I go, look, the easiest thing is if we just transfer, charter a coach. So everyone owes me wow. 30 quid for a place on this coach. And so I basically became a travel agent that did yeah, a, a not-for-profit travel agent. Um, <laughs> so so I, I do this, and it was it was fantastic. A lot of the Soccer M group would go, lots of like weird people who then gone and do other things. Lou Sanders is a comedian. I'm, she would yeah. come along. Um, I think else. Lot, lots of people from different from areas and friends of friends. Some people I'm still in touch with. Some people I'm still in touch with. Now. This guy, Eurodog, I know from it. He came out to Whistler three years ago with me and i've only ever seen this bloke on ski trips like I, I, wow. I, he's a friend and i literally would not speak to him for four years if i've not been anywhere like that and i go and like when i was going to whistle i went hey mate going to whistler um in uh from these dates in march do you fancy it next thing i got he went yep booked up and that was it <laughs> so it's what, what i like about it is it's you're doing something it's an active um it's an active holiday it's not just mm you you sat around um and everything is beautiful like this even yeah. like the sort of 
60s ski resorts that are a bit or 80s or 80s ski resorts that aren't built in the sort of chocolate box thing it's still anything with snow on it is lovely sort of thing Mm. they're they're beautiful places if you like good food good drink um just just a brilliant day and you'll you'll get up go out on the mountain have fun go to a bar afterwards have a drink maybe go and get changed um go get some food go out and some of the nicest meals i've ever had have been on the mountain that you can't mm-hmm. get to unless you ski to them like these little mountain wow. huts you'll find and have this amazing like fondue or something else and that you you there's no way to get to it without skiing it's halfway down a mountain see this is what i love good. about robbie he, he says it how it is i've been trying to convince you about skiing alex for so long it's activity holidays like skiing that honestly is nothing better my concern, right, Go on. is it would be too cold. I, I'm thinking, I don't like being cold. I'm thinking my hands are cold, my feet are cold. Is that completely not the truth? There's never bad weather, there's only bad clothing. You've made the wrong clothing choices <laughs> there. If you've got enough layers on, you can be toasty warm, whatever it is. Just have the right, have the right gear. It's, it's a, and there are days yeah. where it's less fun if, if mm. it's freezing and the snow is pelting down and you can't see it's less fun than a, a other day but go you go march you've skied in t-shirts before uh yeah, it, wow, it's okay. it's it doesn't have to be because you've got the snow base there and and mm. and if, if it's like if the sun's out you can get sunburned skiing do you know what i mean it's it's yeah. it's it's wonderful i i like i'm a big fan of spring skiing and the last two big trips i've done i went to whistler for a reunion 20-year reunion uh, a couple of years ago and then last year I went, I managed just before the pandemic to go out to Telluride in Colorado skiing. And that was, um, that was absolutely fantastic. But um, that we go March and then it's beautiful. You've got lovely sunshine. You can sit outside in the sun and all that sort of thing. It's, it's, you don't have to be cold. Exactly. And you even on those days where it is rubbish, you know, and it's like snowy and cold, the following day, the snow is better than ever because it's had a fresh powder as you're yeah. loving life again. And if it's bad, you just, if it's, if there's a bit where it's a bit unpleasant, you just go and sit inside, have a hot chocolate or a van show and, yeah. and have a chat. And it doesn't, doesn't matter because you're still in a glorious mountain. Van show, that's a hot wine for anyone that's not yes. cultured. Yes, or glue vine for Austria. Van show <laughs> yeah, in France. Yeah. Um, okay, so before we move on, just a couple things from more about about skiing. Mm. Can you isolate some of the, your best stories from your time in the mountains? I, I was lucky enough to be there in a time before camera phones in Whistler. And <laughs> there was a guy called Guitar Doug. Um, and I hadn't really thought about it. There's a guy called Guitar Doug who had literally moved to Whistler maybe a year before... I was there in 1998, and he is still there now. He's now in a bank called the Hare Farmers. And if you're ever there, go and see them. It's absolutely, wow. absolutely fantastic. And when we went out for the 20-year reunion, we went to see them and and saw, saw Doug afterwards. Hey, Doug, we were there in, like, 90s, man. It was, oh, man, those are crazy times, crazy times. Think, it still seems <laughs> quite crazy now. He goes, nah, it's not the same, man. I was going, why not? He said, do you remember Naked Limbo? And I went, oh, yeah. And it used to be. Like, they'd be in the ski bars, and people would, like, just get naked and like <laughs> under under a ski doing limbo. He, say, he says it's all stopped with camera phones. He said people won't get naked now because people just take photos and put them on the internet. Yeah. So I think, fair enough. And there was there was stuff like that. And <laughs> my boss, there's a guy I knew called Willie, who was my boss in uh, in Whistler. And he there's a restaurant called Rendezvous that I worked in, and he was he's still there now. He's um I think he's a Hawaiian guy. He spends his summers in Hawaii surfing and his winters in um, Whistler skiing, and has done for as long nice. as I. Uh, I've known him, and he um, he would 
He was a, the biggest party animal I've ever met. And he was my authority figure. He was like my boss, the boss of the whole restaurant at the time. And I remember mm. being a one night out and it wasn't a fancy dress. We were in Merlin's, the bar at the bottom of Blackcomb Mountain. It's my favorite, um, a favorite uh, bar I've ever been to. And he just walked, he walked in and he was dressed as Tina Turner, full makeup, mm. the wig, you know, that, that's not, is it the Simply the Best video or something like that, sort of like sort of coffee colored <laughs> hair and all that sort of stuff, and a dress on for no real reason. So I, walk, I go, all right, Willie, just Tina Turner. He went, yeah, just carry on with that <laughs> drinking. And I just, I was just drinking with friends. And then later on, I saw him walk back through the bar, still with the wig and makeup on, but completely naked, like just walking around this bar, <laughs> chatting to people, drinking a beer. And no one else was naked. It was just Willie. And I was like, and I, was, I remember just thinking, like, this is my authority figure. This is the person yeah. who I should be looking up to. And he's just walking around naked, dressed as Tina Turner. What is going on? <laughs> and he's having, he'd have, he had these hot tub, he had a hot tub party for us. We won some awards for like best restaurant in the mountain one month. They had an award every month, mm. and I think they probably just gave it to every restaurant once. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. um, but we we got it once, and they got a budget for a party. So we had a party in his hot tub, and he, he lived in an apartment block. Is there was a pool and a hot tub. And there's a there's video footage of there's very little video footage of that time because you had to have a VHS camera yeah. to, to do it. There was no camera <laughs> yeah. phones to say. But my friend Wayno had a Australia had this video camera. We've got the footage. And watching it back, it things that's just seem completely normal. There's a bit where I'm in this hot tub with two sort of girls in bikinis I'm just sort of chatting to. Like a bunch of friends of mine. <laughs> and, ah, and Willie walks behind with like a, a you know, one of those like a, a bottle of spirits, I don't know what it is, with one of those like pouring things on it yeah. and getting bars. And I'm just talking, and I don't acknowledge Willie. I just lean back and open my mouth, and he just pours <laughs> a shot into it, and I just swallow it and carry on talking with no acknowledgement that he's done this. <laughs> like just, it was, it was completely. So it was stuff like that. I think, I think it was good. And then and since then, I've had, you, I've had great nights out. If you've got a group of you in a ski resort, mm. it's very hard to have a bad night out. Very hard. Yes. Mm. And the altitude as well does sort of wonders, isn't it? Yeah, and you don't get hangovers. I, I, yeah. I, if you go out, yeah. if you stay in, you're in trouble. I think if you've got fresh air, you get a bit of exercise going, mm. drinking off water. You won't, I've never had, and I've drunk an immense amount of alcohol on, yeah. on, ski, trip, on ski trips. I never really had a proper hangover. Yeah. Wow, okay. Exactly. You're interested, um, aren't you? Yeah, no, Come you, on, you really sold me, to be fair. I like the Come idea of the, the, the springtime. The other, I'll, I'll go through some of the other things people yeah, say because um, uh, I've, I've, I have this argument a lot with, not argument, discussion yeah. a lot with people. <laughs> um, price, people worry about that a lot, but you can go to Bulgaria. I went to mm. Bulgaria with my kids last in January 2020, and you can get a you can get flights, accommodation, all your equipment, and lessons. And half board for around five hundred pounds if you go to Bulgaria. That's amazing. That's amazing. amazing. You can go, that's all, you, all, on top, all that you're paying on top of that is your booze and your lunches. That's that's all yeah, you that's, need. Sort of. That's seriously good. Yeah, I mean, you're not necessarily staying in a five star hotel, but it doesn't matter, does it? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so so it's it doesn't have to be expensive. And Bulgaria is a great place to learn and, and to have fun. Yeah. I, I lied about saying we want to move on after this because I just have okay. one more question about skiing. <laughs> and the kind I, of, I, will, I will never get bored of this, don't worry. The ski season. <laughs> so I guess for anyone that's listening that's thinking about what a ski season actually looks like, can you give us a brief rundown of what the work-life balance is doing a ski season? In in Whistler, working for the mountain, it's it was very good. Uh, there are people who go, I don't know how practical it is post-Brexit, but people who go to like chalets in, in Europe and that and will... Mm have one day off. But we will get, I worked for the mountain. I'd get two days off. You get a free ski pass 
if you work for the mountain. So that mm-hmm. saves you, I don't know how much, probably grand and a half. Um, also, accommodation in Whistler was very tough to get. So you, there was staff housing, like halls of residence type mm. thing that you could you could get into. So those are the hard things. But work-life balance was pretty good. Two days off a week, got free ski lessons. If whenever mm. if, if the so really if there's a group good, yeah. lesson, if there's a group lesson that wasn't full and you weren't there, you could just go along and join in. Uh, and you got to ski home every day as well. So I, my, I worked up the mountain, so my commute was ski lift up and skiing at home every day so that 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 was good and also on quiet days they would say to you you want to take a ski break and you wouldn't get paid but you could say it's a bit quiet i'll go out for two hours and go skiing amazing yeah amazing so yeah that was good but there are jobs where you have a much worse work-life balance or longer hours i should say but a lot of the time you don't really care in your youth do you sort of thing and and some Mm -hmm. jobs are evening stuff if you work in a bar in the evening Mm. it does mean you have to sleep at some point, but you can ski all day and then go out working the night. So yeah, mm. depends on the job. Sounds awesome. I'm excited now to move the conversation onto your time at Soccer AM because it's something mm. we've got in common. I know from working on the show that it's allowed me to travel and experience things that I wouldn't have done otherwise. So I'm interested to learn what's the travel experience that sticks out to you from your time on the show? We didn't do a lot of travel for work, particularly. Mm. I didn't ever go abroad and think specifically for work i did get to go to a couple of champions league finals nice. um for so well i have three in fact but two liverpool ones are liverpool fans so two liverpool ones went to istanbul in 2005 oh, and wow. um uh, athens in 2007 i think and mm. i also went to the one in the middle the arsenal barcelona one in paris and i remember and we were at we'll guess at playstation um, john scales um was doing work with playstation cup or something or some schools tournament and we yeah, go like, i remember yeah. sheep here to work with at soccer am <laughs> and then we went we went along to watch this tournament and luis garcia was um playing at liverpool at the time in 2007 that's his name yeah luis garcia yeah yeah he was he was injured for the final and was there and we were sort of chatting to him at this tournament like that and joe asked the best small talk question i've ever heard <laughs> he said to luis garcia he goes you're disappointed to not be playing tonight <laughs> nah, mate. No, I don't really like the European. Don't really like the Champions League final. I'm not sure. I'm, yeah, yeah. Bradford away is where it's at for me. Can't be bothered with the big European finals. <laughs> to be fair, playing. Like, yeah, no, it's just, just really disappointing. You don't have to answer that. Don't answer that, Luke. Yeah. Just you know, piss off. I mean, oh, so w- watching the show at the time, you, you can tell that the chemistry that you had with the crew was amazing. And even going back and looking at the YouTube clips now, you can still see it. You know, you, you you all look like you're genuinely great mates having a great time. What was that like at the time? You know, not just working, but also even if, even if just regionally traveling alongside your mates, making that sort of show. Yeah, it was it was it was brilliant, and it was great fun. And I, and I did end up going away with a lot of these people. Neil Smythe, who now works um, mm. at Hashtag, he goes no. Um, he um, I go away quite a bit with him, and also I'd bump, he, we have to go one summer because we get huge summer holidays. Like, because mm. there was no, yeah. certainly some of the time there was, we have to do soccer, summer soccer M shows where we um, would edit certain things. But the, the deal was you could take any holiday during the football season, but in exchange, you got a long summer break. So there was one year, I think, I remember when it was like a World Cup year or a Euros year, where the summer break was slightly longer. They'd finish the season earlier and do this something. I literally mm. left work on FA Cup final day and didn't go back to two weeks. So, so like early May, I didn't go back to the start of August. So you'd have like, Nice. All of middle of May, June, July, two and a half months wow. off, sort of thing. So we would get really good breaks. You just, um, 
uh, the key I found in the holidays was not to do too much towards the end. You wanted to be a bit bored and want to go back to work. If you did too yeah. much stuff, then yeah. you'd be you'd be like, oh, and you'd be jaded when you went back in. Um, yeah. uh, but that was that was really nice. And as I say, there's a lot a lot of things with these ski trips. We'd all go away. We'd also do like weekends away with people. Um, to go places, Rocket, Tubes, and Neil. I all went away with during the soccer AM times. So that was that was it was really nice fun because we were very close. And it was a stressful environment, a fun environment mm. most of the time, but a very stressful environment of that. So you had that sort of shared experience of, of yeah. an understanding of things. And even now when, I've, when some of the guys I haven't seen for a while, you do meet up with them. You do sort of go, that, that was mad when this happened. That was when, when yeah. it was <laughs> Nice. And then after Soccer AM came the freelance life. Mm. I wonder if, did that bring any more weird travel experiences Anything like that that comes to mind? I went to, before the World Cup of Brazil, a year or two ago, I went out to Brazil to film for a a company that, and this is in the client's words, uh, <laughs> makes World Cup tat. And what they meant was right, just the okay. stuff. They, it's officially licensed stuff that they that they make at, that they sell at petrol stations. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah, a yeah, hat, yeah. a vuvuzeo, whatever, yeah, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Like, um, so we went out to do some filming for them, and we basically were filming just a little minute-long thing on in Rio, so which was fantastic because mm, we got to go, awesome. go around there. So we were filming like in the favelas overlooking American art and all this sort of stuff on, on Copacabana nice. Beach, all these, all these different places. So that was incredible. Even though I was only there for a few days, it was absolutely incredible to 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 be in this place that that seems so far from your life, and that you remember as a kid seeing. Well, I what it's called now the Christ the Redeemer. Christ the Redeemer. Redeemer. Christ the Redeemer. Yeah, I was trying to do it in uh, Portuguese there, but um, <laughs> Christ the Redeemer. Yeah, all that sort of stuff, and all, and, all, and being on Copacabana Beach and all this stuff like that, and seeing like kids playing football and all that was yeah, was just just fantastic. What did you make of Brazil in general? As you know, in terms of like culture, food, people, because it's it's sort of splits opinion. Because there's some people that are like this is the best place I've ever been in my life, and there's people that have these horror stories about crime and things like that. I loved it, and I accept mm. that there is horrific crime. No one I spoke to who lived in Brazil hadn't been robbed. No one, wow, not okay. one person. Brazilians, guys, because we were working with a Brazilian production company, which is good because they take us out and chat mm. to them and and all this. Um, but they were just sort of like, oh, it happens every now and then. It was weird things. Like, we never had any issues, but it was stuff like the cash machines. We tried to go get some money out at, like, 10 o'clock at night, and they couldn't get any money out. We said, oh, the cash machine wasn't working there. We went, oh, yeah, they, they all stop working at 9 because everyone just gets robbed. So, like, you can't wow. get money out from cash machine after 9 p.m., for example, wow. or you couldn't at okay. the time. And it was stuff like that. Um, we had one guy, I think I've told this story on Happy Hour before, but we had one guy, this guy called Bre- Bre- Breno, who I was working, we were working with, worked on the film City of Gods, if you've ever been yeah, aware of yeah. that sort of thing. Great so thing. his job was, he was a sort of production team, and his job was he would go, they were using actual actors from the favelas, kids who lived, who lived up there. So he would go in a minibus with a driver, pick up the kids in the morning, take them onto set, look after them, and then take them back in the minibus in the evening. And it was all arranged mm. with the favelas and all this stuff. They were getting paid and everything. So he drove there one evening, one evening to drop the kids back off. On the way back out, him and the driver, they got stopped by a guy with a machine gun in the middle of the in the middle of the road of, of this favela. And Brenner said, look, we've, we've arranged it. It's okay, we were here, we're, we're making a film. We've been, mm. kids have been actors in it. We arranged it with this guy who's like the head of the favela. It's all, it's all fine. He goes, yeah, yeah, no problem. He goes, I just need you to give me a lift somewhere. 
And he goes, mm. all right, no problem. So he opens up the back of the minibus and like eight people, all with guns, weapons and stuff, come out Jesus. and get back of the minibus. And the, oh the driver starts like breaking it. He's like, he's like going, like proper hyperventilating, going, I can't, I can't drive, I can't drive. And he goes, and Brenda's going, no, you have to drive or we're going to die. But if <laughs> yeah. you just do what they say, it's all going to be okay. So be fine. So they started driving and they're going, going, and they're just directing, go through, through here. These guys, guys, and he was sort of after a little bit, he was thinking, okay, this maybe this isn't so bad now. Maybe they just want to live somewhere. It's fine. He said at that point they were going past a police car. A guy in the back wound down the window and got a megaphone out, and they're shouting to traffic. Like obviously in Portuguese, they're going, "Get out of the way of the terror car! The terror car is coming through." <laughs> the driver's like, going, "What's he saying oh about terror God. car, mate? What's a terror car?" <laughs> and they're like, and some guy had a rocket launcher in the back, which pointed at the police cars. And the police are like, "Nope, okay, all fine, oh off you go, sir. No problem." <laughs> so they were just driving through without these guns hanging out the back of these vans and all this stuff, and the weapons and all this going to about the terror car. And an event, they just drove through for like half an hour through Rio, and they, they said. Pull up here, pull up outside of woods, and the guys all just run into the woods. Never saw them again. So he went back to work the next day and went, I will no longer work here, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to quit. So there was stuff like that. But on the good side of it, I absolutely loved it. I thought the, the people were lovely, the food was there. And what I really liked about it is the bars you'd go to and on, on nights out, there wasn't bars that old people go to and bars that mm. young people go to. You'd be in these bars where they'd be like, 18 year olds dancing with like 70 year old blokes at the same bar. Yeah, something. It was like yeah. everyone seemed, I don't know if it was just the bar I went to, but everyone seemed to be going to the same places and, yeah. um, and just having a good time. So moving on now, we've got to talk about YouTube. I think it's fair to say your videos kind of celebrate the mundane things in life that we might all take for granted. Yeah. And your approach to telling those sort of stories is very, very unique. So I guess the first question is, what have you learned since becoming like a YouTuber, YouTube creator? I've learned that, well, before I did it, I learned that YouTube was a thing. It's weird because I I didn't watch YouTubers before. I knew mm. Jack May. I'd obviously uh, met Saunders. Um, I'd, I'd met Spencer. So I knew a few mm. YouTubers, but I didn't ever sit down and go, I will now watch some YouTube yeah. <laughs> sort of thing. I'd go to YouTube when um, I had to, fix something or do something and let me learn how a a technique or something. But then I was talking to uh, Will Brazier, who I don't know, as Mm -hmm. Saunders knows, I I was talking to Will um, one day up at uh, Watford's training where we're doing some filming with Troy Deeney. And Mm. um, and he was saying, why don't you start a YouTube channel? And I was like, I think that's probably for younger people. Like as in, and I didn't realize there were sort of people over twenty who did YouTube things. So I was over thirty, and he said, he said, he said, I'm not. I don't want to sound rude. He said, but I know what it's like being an 18 year old starting university. He goes, mm. I don't know what it's like. He goes because there's eight thousand vlogs every September, mm. sort of thing. He goes, I don't yeah. know what it's like being middle age sort of thing. So, mm. so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll do a video a week for six months. I think you got, if you're going to do something, you should commit to it yeah, and try yeah. it and see if I enjoy it and I'll carry on. Um, I didn't think, I was sort of thinking it was, it would be nice to make some portion of my income from it, not necessarily everything, but some portion of my income from mm. it. But I was thinking like five to 10 years time, sort of thing. I was thinking grow it, a much more gradual mm. process than it's it's possibly been. So so yeah, I think I guess I learned that you can do anything on YouTube within mm-hmm. reason, sort of thing. Um, but also, I've I've 
I think I'm quite good at sort of production things and having, telling stories in that. And I do believe yeah. you can make anything interesting yeah. if you do it. And now I can go to, because I run a production company as a day job sort of thing, I can now go, when clients are going, oh, this thing's we've not got our business is not very interesting. I go, I've got like forty thousand views of taking the bins out, mate. So yeah. I think we can make your factory interesting <laughs> and stuff like that. So it's good. It's good at that front. But yeah, I think um, I've learned a lot about techniques and thumbnails and all, all that sort of stuff like that, and 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 titling and clickbaiting. Um, although yeah. I, I sort of hate the world of clickbaiting, I sort of refuse yeah. to go all the way. Like for example, I, I did a walking video with um, Cam Kirkham um, yeah. uh, just before Christmas. Lovely guy, and he bought he bought my he never met me before, never met my kids. He bought my kids Christmas presents. Yeah, I just went to like a awesome. shop, bought some things. Really kind thing to do. The title of that video should be um, Cam Kirkham is a lovely bloke who bought my kids Christmas presents. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The title that would get views would be how Cam Kirkham killed xo or something like that yeah, yeah. But what you want is something in the middle but in the end i go for something in the middle about i can't remember something like why why bambino um, becky, bambino or something, becky. yeah it? something like that yeah, yeah. Uh, why they have a beef which is like a jokey <laughs> beef they have sort of thing so i hate that i hate the sort of clickbaity titling sort of thing but i understand you have to be slightly smart with it and what i do now is i have when i'm doing a video i'll have a video and, and, and i've got an intention for it in mind so it will either be something mm. to keep people who are already there happy like mm. taking out the bins because no one's going to go man taking out the bins into youtube and search for it <laughs> yeah. um but then equally i will I, I do like a few skiing videos and stuff like that and there'll be things like i will think about the title and that and the, mm. so the cheapest ski resort in europe or something like that. I know yeah. people are going to search for cheapest ski resort in Europe. Yeah, and yeah. if you've made a good quality video, then it should get views in theory. So yeah, I've learned that. We, we've nice. talked about this uh, quite a lot in the past about, you know, the mm. game playing side of it. Because yeah. as yeah. much of it is about, you know, just making content that you like and having fun. There is this like, you know, that whole other side, isn't it? But you seem to have hit a really happy balance between the two, I think. Yeah, mm. I think you've got to just work out what level you can accept what level, how far you're going to go with it sort of thing to keep sort of true to yourself. Cause I'm never going to be doing this extreme clickbait things, but even then um, I do, I do, um, I've, I've run a brewery now with my friend, Mike and yeah. um, he's new to the whole YouTube thing. And uh, we did a video about out where we talked about our finances of the brewery sort of thing. And I called it, uh, how much money do we make from our merch drop? And he's like, going, yeah, but the video's not all about that. It's about that. I go, I don't care. People are going to want to know not the way this how works. much money you make from it. That's that's. It'll get them to click on it. They'll have yep. to sit through the other twenty minutes if they want to find that. <laughs> um, so so yeah, I've, I've I've learned a bit about about that, and and I think I'm at a level where I'm happy mm. with it. Like Saunders mentioned, we've had people on the in in the past who are content creators who've spoken about getting hung up on. Uh, likes, comments, engagement. I'm interested, as you've mentioned in the past, about not growing up in the world of camera phones and technology. Do you find that you're still hung up on anal analytics and things that ultimately don't matter? I don't care. I, I, I genuinely mean I've got to a position. Yeah. Uh, first of all, like, but the key to it is, and don't get me wrong, if no one's watching the videos, <laughs> if everyone's not watching the videos, I'd start to care. But yeah. I don't care if a video is a one out of 10 or a 10 out of 10 is yeah. in the YouTube thing, which tells you the most popular thing on that, because it doesn't reflect the quality of the video. Mm. It's not relevant. It's not, it doesn't matter. Like, like you can, I've did a video where I was talking about not caring about opinions. And if someone doesn't like something, it's not, it doesn't matter. Like my 
daughter doesn't like oh my son I said my son doesn't like broccoli that doesn't mean I'm not going to eat broccoli it's just someone's <laughs> opinion on something it's not yeah. it's got nothing to do with me and not everyone's going to like everything and people like some of your stuff isn't going to like everything people there's no like I did a video with Chews mm. talking about his heart attack mm. and there's there there are people who've clicked dislike on that I do not like this man talking about surviving right. a heart attack I mean it doesn't matter I mean people people could it could yeah. be any reason people could look at me and. Go, and their girlfriend could have left them for someone with a moustache, and they will go, "I don't like this bloke for that reason." It could be, <laughs> it could be, it could be anything yeah. sort of thing. So it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily matter. It could be the YouTube algorithm, yeah, not not picking up on something for whatever reason. It could be the mm. the title's not appealing to people. It's it, it's it doesn't. It honestly doesn't bother me at all. It's nice when something does well, and that, and not just from the ad revenue sense of things. But it's quite good when you see something really. Kicking yeah. off, but but a lot of the time, I, I've I've got a rough idea how well something will do, and it doesn't bother me. It doesn't do well. You mentioned earlier about your going for a walk series, which is something that I've watched through lockdown and absolutely loved. Mm. Walking in nature is something that I'm sure a lot of people are doing now more than ever. So I'm wondering, what do you think the benefits of getting out into nature and going for a walk are, and how does it help you? I think it's it's incredible. I, I mean, I think if you you get out if you're walking your own you get you have ideas that you wouldn't have if you just sat mm. down you can sit mm-hmm. and and sometimes i go walking and i'll listen to music a lot of the time but if I, if you go walking i think the best the most effective walking is when you just don't have any headphones in you're not on your phone yeah. you're just wandering around looking things and taking things in and all this and so yesterday i took the kids at school holidays i took my three kids out and walked down the marshes near me and down to mm. we found a little bit of river there was a swing there we went they play in the swing for a bit. They paddle in the water. They see a squirrel. They get excited by it. They find an interesting stick and stuff like this. <laughs> and I think I think yeah. it clears the mind, and yeah. I think it makes you feel better. Being getting outside and and it just is good for the mental health. I like doing the. Mm. I started doing the walking videos partly because at the time I started doing them, you weren't allowed to go inside. And I thought, well, I could do. Yeah. If we're going to make videos with people, I can. I have to be outside, so I do walking. And what I like about them as well is there is nothing in the videos that anyone else couldn't do. There's no fancy mm. camera. I'm not using drones. I've got a drone, but I'm not using it in that. It's generally static shots. It's one shot, cam- one camera with a microphone on top pointing at some people talking sort of things. So there's nothing, mm. apart from possibly getting access to the guests to do it, there's nothing that anyone mm. else... There's no. It's not complicated to do. Anyone can mm. do it sort of thing. So... So I, that's what I like about it, and that's why I, I enjoy about it. And I get lovely messages about them from people, and it's something I didn't mm. really expect going into this. I thought I'll make videos about getting the bins. People might find them funny, take the bins out. People might find them funny and go on, but I didn't expect. I get a lot of messages from people who say it helps their anxiety or mm. depression or agoraphobia or various various different mental um, concerns. And like one of the nicest messages I've ever got at the, at the first lockdown someone someone message me saying hey you don't know me we've just had a baby it's it's premature it's stressful it's a bit touch and go i'm not allowed into the hospital because of covid my wife's in there with the baby and i came home last night and was stressed out and i sat down and watched eight hours of your videos to calm me wow. down in a row i should say thanks and things like that wow. you think you've, there's someone who's got as stressful a situation as you can imagine in life pretty much to help people in that thing that's that's wonderful i'm not saying i come out of a key worker here but it's <laughs> it's nice it's nice to be able to to yeah that, that you're yeah. doing some good in whatever way sure 
I mean, I, I, having watched those, actually, having been fortunate enough to live one of those videos and do one with you. And it was fantastic. Um, a lot of people say to me as well, do you know what I loved was the Saunders video? I get a lot of people no saying... Way. I get, I no way! I get a lot of people saying how much they enjoyed it. They always say, which is sort of an insult. They go, you'll be surprised by this. It was the Saunders video that I loved. So <laughs> like that, which is sort of a compliment hidden in an insult. So yeah, it's the story of my life. <laughs> yeah. I, I watched that video before you came on as a guest, Saunders, to make sure like, I learned as much about you as possible. And yeah, it was really, really useful for me. But I just really enjoyed it as well. So good. It's, I mean, it was, it was good to, it was, yeah, I really enjoyed being on it. But also like watching the others as well. You, you, you kind of tapped into it there. It's, it's similar to like the podcast format, I think, you know, it's something that mm. we really enjoy doing this, Alex, and, and we'll get onto happy hour in a little bit, Robbie, but like just the having good conversations with people, good chats, you know, that kind of reminds you of what being human is all about. You know, you're, le you're less game playing. It's less about short, snappy social media. Mm. It's just, you know, doing what we do best. And once you get out and start walking for a bit with, if you're with someone for a couple of hours, it's quite rare that you're with one person for several hours, mm. unless you're in a pub or you're drinking or sort of do stuff like that. But you tend to get, within the first 10, 15 minutes, you get all the small talk out the way. And you can get into some yeah. quite deep conversations yeah. or not necessarily deep, but different conversations. with people. I'm not just talking about on the videos, I'm talking about in general, if you go walking with someone, after a while, you can get really in, in, sort of intense or, learn, or get to know them a lot better. I mean, I, I found like chatting with, with with Spencer, in fact, your brother, so I'm just um, learning things like he's into musical theatre that I would never have yes. known before, and just things like things that you learn new things about people. I think when you get with when you just chat to someone in in that sort of environment, there's no distractions. I was just going to say, I, I think that comes from the fact that when you're walking with someone, often it's side by side, and mm -hmm. I think when you're in an environment where you're sat across the table from someone, you have to look into their eyes and talk yeah. about something really deep and see all their reactions to everything you say. It's a lot more intense. When you're walking yeah. side by side, you can kind of just know someone's there and talk and then know that you're going to get the reaction, but almost not be judged by their facial expressions in yeah. a way. Yeah, I think, there's, I think there's, there's, there's something in that. Yeah, I agree. If you kind of tie that into the travel side of things as well, like I think everybody should always make time on a holiday or a trip or whatever, just to go for a walk somewhere, it, even if it's just like along mm. the beach in the morning or, you know, even around the, the grounds of the hotel and just kind of disconnect from wanting to take a picture of something or doing an activity and just like have a chat. Don't worry about trying to make the most of every single moment and just kind of live in that environment for a second. And I think, yeah, walking and chatting. Some of the conversations that come up when you're, you kind of let your, not let your guard down, but you know what I'm getting at, you know, like you're not yeah. thinking about doing anything. You just go Bleh, and you start talking. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Who knows what you get to. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I, I agree completely. I mean, it's one of my favorite things when I'm abroad because I tend to wake up early, a lot earlier than, all my friends generally. So quite often I will go, and if there's a jet lag or something, I go, oh, I'm awake at 6am and mm -hmm. my friend in the, in the bed next to me isn't going to, in the bed next to me, not, not in my <laughs> bed next to me, uh, in the bed next to me. And my friend, um, I didn't wish that um, recently, um, in Vancouver, sorry, you wake up early and go, well, I've probably got a few hours before he's going to mm -hmm. get up and also he's probably going to be slow and, and all this sort of thing. So yeah, I'm just going to yeah. go walking and you can spend a couple of hours just really going around and just seeing places and, and getting set up. And then if it's, if it's a new place, you've got that, your bearings set up and you go, Let's, I've found, I saw this great thing. It's not open. It wasn't open at 6am, but now it will be. Let's go and check this out. Or this restaurant looks good or, or something like that. So yeah, one of my favorite things is just wandering around, particularly if you're somewhere like New York, just going, mm. just strolling around is amazing. 
So we're taking a short break from this week's episode to talk to you more about Zencaster. Yes, indeedy. So Zencaster is an online podcast and audio video call recording service. Bit of a mouthful. Uh, uh, but it is a game changer for remote podcasting and recording calls. So we spent absolutely ages trying to find a method which worked for travel tours, but nothing was really hitting the right quality level we wanted until we found Zencaster, which was an absolute game changer. What I love personally about Zencaster is the the way that you can record the audio and the video locally mm. as you chat. But then at the end of the call, you can download the files without any of the awkward like internet delays or drops <laughs> yeah. or interference. And it's basically like you recorded the whole thing offline. Yeah, it's so amazing to use. And you can try Zencaster out for free yourself to get a taste of what it offers. And if, like us, it massively helps to improve the quality and production value of your recordings or podcasts, then you can upgrade to a professional membership. So by using the discount code TRAVELTALKS, all one word, all lowercase, you can get 40% off of your first three months. Bargain. Right, back to the show. Right, so Robbie, when we wrote this question, we had to write, we don't want to make you sound old. <laughs> it's, 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 it's amusing because, because the thing, what's funny about it is, is that in the grand scheme of things, I'm not that old. No, <laughs> no, not. But in YouTube, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like Yoda or something like that. It's all, it's all rather. That's what it feels like. like I saw um, uh, you know, Tom, Tom Sharma did Crash of Creators. He, I saw him tweet the other day, there yeah. should be a podcast where people, they just, where you just get a random old person on to tell <laughs> stories. I'm getting basically what happy hour is when I'm there. So, <laughs> so but yeah, go on. I accept I accept this in the in the nicest possible sense, whatever it's gonna be. So it's it's really quite nice to be honest. You're always giving out words of wisdom and life advice on your channel. So I wondered if you could speak to the young people who are listening to this podcast right now and give them some life advice in regards to traveling and seeking adventures outside of their comfort zone, what would you say? Within the the realms of safety do as much as you can. Like, I'm not mm. suggesting if if you're a young single woman, you walk around a really rough neighborhood at first to experience <laughs> what it's like, sort of thing like yeah. that. If you're, or, or or that you decide to go skydiving and you're only if you've got no, no dream. Without that, do as much stuff and you'll mm. have adventures. And I've never, I'm never telling a story about on Happy Hour about the time I sat inside and watched television. Do you know what I mean, because that's not, <laughs> yeah, that's not how yeah. how good things happen. But you you get some, and you never know when the best things are going to happen or the best nights are going to happen. Um, my mm. friend um, Sally, I don't, I don't know if you met Saunders. Um, I remember she, I lived with her for years before I moved in with my wife, and. She was out. Uh, we were out one one day. This is not a traveling story, but just a seizing the day story. We were out mm. one day in Primrose Hill in, in London, and we were on our way home to Ealing. We said, "Should we go for one more drink?" We're like, uh, "Yeah, let's go." Down. We popped into K West Hotel in Shepherd's Bush, which is where so all the bands used to stay when they were in London mm. back in the day. I don't know if they still do or not. Mm. And we'd always bump into people we knew there through Soccer and that. And I bumped in, went down there. Serge from Kasabian was there, who I knew, so I went down to start chat with oh, him. Wow. He had his friend Mikey there, got chatting to this guy. And then through Mikey, eventually, who was someone who came on our ski trips, um, met his friend Rob. Sally ended up dating Rob. They Rob moved to New York. Oh, wow. Sally then moved to New York with him. Like After I moved <laughs> in with my wife, she moved to New York to go experience that. While she was out there, she started working on an anti-Bourdain's travel show. No way. She wow. won an Emmy for it. She's got an Emmy on her mantelpiece. What? She's now married to Rob. They've got twins, um, all this sort of life. Um, amazing stuff, that, yeah. all because we went for, and did that extra drink that we didn't yeah, necessarily have to. And it doesn't mean 
Um, and I've met through through Mike and those other friends, and lo- we've all experienced a lot just because of that one one drink. And it doesn't mean you should go out every night because that's a slippery slope yeah. sort of thing. <laughs> but the more stuff you do, the more hap- happens. It's like it's like if you're yeah. a, a young man looking to romance ladies, the way you can kiss twice as many ladies is to talk to twice as many ladies. The more you do, the more will happen to you. So just say yes to stuff when you can. That's good advice. Solid advice. Nice. So we want to speak about Happy Hour Podcast, of course. Mm-hmm. I was watching your video this morning uh, titled, I Wish I Knew This When I Was 20. Okay, and yep. you said that you wouldn't have gone on Happy Hour and have got the Happy Hour gig if you hadn't got in a mood in a supermarket and decided not to go for a few months, then wrote a Facebook post about it. But you said it was a long story. Something we've got right now is time. <laughs> I will so tell you as it. quickly as possible. <laughs> um, so essentially, I... Um, I one Christmas before Christmas, I was living in Forest Hill in London, and I had done my Christmas shop online in advance. Was all prepared and all that, but we got invited to someone's house, so I had to go. Mm. I said I'd make desserts and this. I had to go and buy a few bits from the supermarket. It was like the twenty third of December or something like that. It was an awful experience. the The queue for the <laughs> checkout was an hour, for, all down the aisle, right to the end of the aisles. It was horrific. Um, there was hardly anything on the shelves that put the price up of everything. The quality mm. was awful. I remember having carrots that were disgusting. I don't know how you can mess up carrots. <laughs> and I went through the whole experience was horrific. And I remember at the end of it thinking, there's got to be a better way of doing this. So I, I didn't tell mm. anyone apart from my wife who was like, oh, whatever. But I didn't go to a supermarket for a year. Well, no, for six months. I said I was going to do a year in the end of the six months. I was like, I'm not going to set foot in a supermarket for six months. Wow. And I... And it's and I, and I just went to independent shops. I got started getting milk delivered. I'd get veg boxes. Mm. Um, it helped. I lived in London, so there's a lot of stuff around. And it was annoying in parts because if you need to buy some turmeric for a recipe, mm. um, yeah. Yeah. and you know there's some in Sainsbury's, but you have to wander around shops for <laughs> turmeric. It's quite frustrating. <laughs> but it has it's changed the way I shop ever since, and. I learned a lot from it. And at the end of it, I wasn't even going to mention it to anyone. I thought, Joe, I'll do a little Facebook post. Mm. Just on my private Facebook, I just said, I haven't been to a supermarket for six months. These are the seven things I've learned. And someone got in touch there who worked for the Huffington Post and said that I knew. And she said, do you want to write a blog about this? It's really interesting. So I went, okay. So I did a blog. I did a few other things. I did like a few like local radio things talking about it. And I was in the Scottish sun yeah, and stuff yeah, yeah. like this. <laughs> um, so I did this um this blog, I think I wrote one other blog for them, and then they phoned me up and said, "Look, we've got a, we've got this brand deal with Amoy, um, like a filming thing. Do you want to be in it? We can pay you to do it, and you might win a holiday." So I was basically there was a team of bloggers, a team of YouTubers, and a team of comedians. I was in the team of bloggers, which seemed a bit unfair on other bloggers who had written two blogs ever. <laughs> it seemed quite quite unfair that I was going. You will represent bloggers, um, so I was on that. Um, and Jack was one of the team on the team of YouTube. Jack and Helen oh, okay. were the two YouTubers. So that's how I met him, which obviously then eventually mm. led to me doing Happy Hour. But um, again, it's just a sort of do yeah. stuff, and it will will lead to something. Incidentally, we won the Chinese cooking competition. Me and this um, uh, girl called Victoria, was lovely, she was about twenty five, um, and they said, "Yeah, you won the holiday." And I suddenly thought. Are they gonna expect me to go on a holiday with this girl who's lovely? I mean, I'm sure we have a great time, but it's a very tough call to make to my wife and young child. Yeah. Something I'm just at the airport, I'm just off to Hong Kong for a week. So in the end they went, Do you want the um holiday or do you just want the cash? I, went, I will take the cash. <laughs> um 
so yeah so so yeah that's i mean that's another another i guess example of just doing stuff love that now i mean for anyone that doesn't know and i'd be su- surprised if anyone doesn't because it's always at the top of the charts happy hour is an incredible podcast like it's such a good listen to the the range of guests are unreal but also the conversations between the three of you um are brilliant one of those things that you often talk about are the hypothetical games yeah and we often come around to doing that on the travel talks podcast as well so we want to run one past you and get your response to this hypothetical Love now it. If you had to design your dream holiday based on five factors, those factors being mode of transport, weather, like an activity, something to do, general vibe, architecture, landscape, that sort of thing. What is that dream holiday? And it is worth noting that none of this needs to make any sense. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. All right. I will. um, I'm going to travel by train. Okay. Um, because it's a bit environmentally better. It's quite a more pleasant experience, isn't it? Sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like the mm-hmm. the the Eurostar is is a great experience. I'm going to go skiing, obviously, because we I think we <laughs> guessed that was was going to be the case. I'm going to go to the Alps, and I'm going to go to Kitzbühel in the Alps specifically at the weekend mm-hmm. of um, the uh, the men's downhill. I'm going to go mm-hmm. and watch. I'm going to go and watch um, uh, the skiing. What were the other criteria? Uh, architecture's one. Architecture, architecture landscape. So yeah, it's a beautiful sort of chocolate box village. It's it's stunning mountains. I can go skiing. Uh, one of the other things I know, uh, I know I'm always talking um, about skiing, and you're not sure. One of the other <laughs> things I love about it is that if you're into football, mm. you probably aren't going to be allowed to go out and play at Wembley, or or if you're not going to get to have a little knockabout at Wimbledon if you're into tennis sort of yeah. thing. If you're into skiing, you can ski the World Cup downhill course because yeah. as soon as it's finished, you can go and do the same run. Um, it's not going to be fenced off for you, but you can you can do any of these <laughs> things, and it's unbelievable when you watch these things and get to know a run like that. Hannah Kam Strife in, mm. in, in Kitzbühel is one of the most famous ski runs in the world, and an incredible thing to watch, and and has tends to have the most crashes every year sort of thing, which is also quite fun but it's a really challenging <laughs> thing and you what when you ski it and you go down it i mean black run but it's doable if you're decent at skiing yeah you'll get down it and you'll you'll do a bit and you look back and you go hang on the thing that's just taking me a minute to do they'll cover in the air yeah. in three yeah. seconds and then they'll hit the ridge yeah and fly through the air for <laughs> 30 meters or whatever sort of thing and land and it's taken me like a minute to get down this bit something like that and only when you really when you're out there could you get to go understand fully yeah. what it is they're they're achieving that's a good one that i think i feel like it's very achievable like for a concept very like, achievable alex's was getting a banana boat to where was it again somewhere like connect grand canaria like, sort of vibe right weather yeah wise. grand canaria weather with like the vibe of Oh, it might have been like Brazil, but the architecture of Peru. It was like the oh, most okay. yeah. I've not gone to I've not gone abstract <laughs> enough. Is that what I've done? Okay, no, in no, that case, I'm like... gonna put I'm gonna put Merlin's bar from Whistler at the bottom of, nice. of, of nice. the of the hill. We we have quite a similar one because mine was like, you know, chocolate box sort of town on a yeah, on was, a mountain. Yeah. But then I said at the bottom of the mountain there needed to be a tropical ocean. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, <laughs> I'll get more sense, into it. Still, yeah, yeah, maybe there's maybe the ski lifts give you an option of on one side the ski steps and the other side a water slide down to the <laughs> Nice. The bottom. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we're talking about. Okay, there now we we're getting better. Okay, I think I understand the question more now. I went too yeah. literal. Right. Okay. Moving on. Let's talk about beer Ooh, because. Yeah. I think it's fair to say that you are somewhat of a beer connoisseur. Recently reaching, let, well, let's say, 
the boss level of beer connoisseuring. You started your own craft beer company, Bin Day Brewing. How did that all come about? So basically what I learned from YouTube is that no matter what video I do, I'll probably make 50 quid from YouTube ad revenue. Right. So <laughs> what I've learned is that I can try anything I'm interested in up to the value of fifty pound free. <laughs> so if I go, oh, I wonder what it, I wonder what um what this will be like and, and and I can I can do it for free. So I worked out that I so thought you can get a lockdown one, but okay, I can get a craft beer, a brewing kit for about fifty quid and I can give it a go mm-hmm. and see how it works out. And if it goes wrong, it doesn't matter because I'll get I'll get it back in ad revenue. So <laughs> I um so I thought, okay, I will, um, I'll do that. So I brewed beer, and I was surprised. And it was you could get the things where you get the extract to do it, but this was like using grains from scratch, grains, water, yeast, and hops. Literally, literally just that, and making a, a beer. In fact, it wasn't. It was an Elvis juice brew dog kit. So I got a grapefruit as well from the shop and mm. used that. In it. But what I was surprised was that you could make beer at home, or I could make beer more accurately. And mm. I was surprised it was nice because my memory of homebrew was mm. like in the 80s and 90s when your mate's dad had it in a kitchen it stank <laughs> yeah. like it's tar sort of thing so so the fact that i can actually make nice beer and it's gonna be nice because it's fresh as well it's like most of the time if you buy a can from the supermarket it's been around for a bit sort of thing it might have been pasteurized mm. it might have been treated in some way uh, to prolong the shelf life but it's fresh it's going to be nice and uh, and I gave it to quite a few people. And they're going, this is really good. So I went, okay. Someone was kind enough to give me a slightly better kit that I could make more than a few ca- a few bottles or things. I can now make 15, 20 liters at a time. Um, mm-hmm. So I got this slightly better kit and um, kept on doing it. Got better at better understanding it a bit more. Brewed a few times. Gave it to more people. Got their opinions and that. To the point where I was making sort of decent beer. And people were going, I was going taking it to people I've met who were professional brewers are going, that's really good. That would mm. happily, um, I'd be really happy if I got that in a pub sort of thing. And it, it tasted well and go, this is, this is fantastic. And then I thought, well, do you know what? I want, I wanted to do a brewery. I've always thought if mm. I worked in any business other than making videos, I could market it really well because I'm good at making videos sort of thing. That's yeah. really frustrating thing that you're in the industry where everyone can do the marketing yeah. techniques. So I thought I'll do this. Um, I wanted to do something with my friend Mike anyway because we like hanging out with each other. And the the idea of the brewery is because I believe in sort of transparency and things like that. I think people like honesty a lot of the time. I think a lot of people mm. are very secretive about stuff. The idea is it's going to be it's the first YouTube brewery. So mm-hmm. everything we do, we we share. There'll be some things you can't share. You obviously couldn't share someone's salary or something like that who worked for you. That, but but yeah. down to what we're trying to do is say we did this merch thing and we made this amount of money. This is this is mm. the this is the economics of what's happened, um, and try and just try and be as transparent about things as possible. But then the longer term thing is to build a physical brewery in Norwich and collaborate mm. with YouTubers, so you could get Max Fosh could come down and brew the type of beer he likes. You can make nice yeah. content about it. You could sell it. He could get an amount per can that gets sold or something yeah. like that. Um, work with people, and it become the sort of community brewery. And as we've been talking beyond that, we said, okay, wouldn't it be good if it's not just this does well and Mike and myself make some money? Wouldn't it be good if everyone mm. can do it? And we looked into equity crowd based crowdfunding. Yeah. So the plan will be probably early next year. Um, we'll say, right, we're going to build a brewery. We need to raise this much money. Anyone who watches it can own a bit of the brewery and stuff like that. that. And and rather than the crowdfunding, which is fine, I've got nothing against, but the crowdfunding where you donate some money and you get a T-shirt, 
but really mm. you're paying a company some money sort of thing this would be you donate some money and you get a share of the brewery and and Sounds great. We could get investors in as well, but at the same rate as the other people like that. So no one's getting a better deal. It's it's on mm. an equal playing field. I think if you then treat people as co-owners and big them up like that, something I think you'll build yeah. up, you'll build up that that thing. And I've had a lot of a lot of people in the YouTube world, a lot of YouTubers who've I've mentioned this to them, they go, "We'll invest in that." So I think what mm. we're hopefully going to end up with is something that's owned by YouTubers, viewers, us, and is inclusive of the whole community while still not being cocks and stuff like that sort of thing. Like, like you'd, you'd get, you get people involved in like and, and get people involved who are experts in things and know stuff like, like yeah. if, if, if we were like, right, how can we make this more environmentally sustainable? I'd be on the phone to Saunders going, let's do a video yeah. about how you can make this more, more sustainable sort of thing. And then you get the benefits mm. of that knowledge that people have as well. Like things that we, we knew as soon as we announced it and put our first beer out, people would get in touch with us and offer us, advice and stuff so the next brew we've just been doing a brew with s43 up in county durham that was people who watched the content went we love this do you want to do something we went yeah yeah we do and they're they are brilliant they get it completely we've been up there doing stuff with them we did a brew last week or week before where we did it entirely live on twitch and people could vote on stuff so not like we want you to we in the mash ton or something like that it was (laughs) stuff like we're gonna we're gonna put we need to put some hops in now these are the three choices and this is the brewer explaining how it will affect the flavor. So you get nice. everyone getting involved in in that. And so that's that's the aim of it. And we'll see how it goes. I love that. I mean, sounds so good. straight away, count me in as an investor when that comes Wonderful. about. Yeah. We, we, we'll let you know. And you can also be our environmental consultant as well, because that's that's the thing. That's like it's you've got to you look at things. You, everyone goes, I want to be environmentally conscious. But there are trade offs mm. in, in it and things like for every pint of beer i think it's something mental like it takes like nine pints of water it's yeah. use an immense mm. amount of yeah, yeah. of water but then you've got to go okay that's you minimize that where possible it's unavoidable and there's ways you can go around mm. it something sort of but how else can you be greener in your transporting of stuff like that or your Absolutely. supply chain and stuff like that sort of thing so so i think yeah getting all the expertise from people and and also i'm aware that mike and i are too middle-aged white heterosexual middle-class bloke sort of thing so <laughs> it'll be good to find out from people in who aren't that how mm. we can be more inclusive of, of things like when you're building a tap room it makes sense to chat to some people in the space who are like okay what, what what's the ideal toilet situation if you're yeah. trans what's the ideal mm. if you're disabled in a wheelchair how do we help help out there sort of thing so i think if you get involved in all the different people and understand that we don't know the answers to things let's ask people i think it'll be inclusive and and a force for good love that sounds great so this is an absolutely mental question i'm about to ask you great uh without any warning even more so (laughs) is there a best beer which you've ever had and in this i want you to take into account where you were what you were doing at the time you were drinking it if you again we're gonna come back to skiing if you were to ask me you can have one pint anywhere now i would go to Merlin's at the bottom of Blackcomb Mountain Whistler and I would have a pint of Kokanee which is the okay. shit macro lager that you yeah. uh, mass produced there because yeah. it has it's the first beer I ever really drank because I never drank beer at uni I like cider mm. and my boss um, Adrian my sort of line manager when I was there and, and we'd have a night called every payday which every two weeks we had a night called Fubar night which was 
fuck up by around apologies if you can't swear on this <laughs> um yeah. uh, but essentially anyone who made a mistake um would get you, you'd get written on a board and you'd have to buy a jug of beer on payday and essentially it could be anything if you said <laughs> nice. something stupid you get rid of this board what it meant was every payday everyone come down and buy a jug of beer and there'd be lots of beer you'd buy one jug a night and everyone would drink and essentially almost everyone got written up for it sounds great um and it was great nice but but adrian my boss said to me i said i don't like beer he goes oh you gotta drink beer i said he said no one likes beer when they first start beer just drink beer and you'll be all right Mm -hmm. so he made me down a pint of beer every payday until after about two or three weeks i'm like yeah this is fine so i think and and it's got such great memories so that's the point i'd love it's definitely not the best beer in the world but it's it's got good memories it's it's easy drinking you can have a bit of it and something and it's and it's good so i think there are beers that are better that taste better but you can Mm. There's stories around it and circumstances. I, I remember work, I was talking to, no, I was talking to someone, a brewer, who said he was working in a bar, I think it was a brew dog bar, years ago, and they'd get given all these like beers that weren't out yet. And so he got to his mm. friends, said, look, we've got 10 beers, 10 beers that aren't out, that haven't been released from brew dog. We're going to try these out. I want to rank them on an order. And he got, he had nine from brew dog, whatever, and got a can of Carling or, or Fosters or something like that. Yeah. I poured, put it in there, and the Fosters one came out third out of 10, something like that. So wow, it's not really? wow. because people don't know that. But he was selling yeah. it. So he's going, like, this is this really cool new lager technique yeah, yeah, and yeah. all this sort of stuff like that. And people <laughs> will just will just go, um, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I get that sort of thing. So a lot of it, uh, there's a lot of stuff that's marketing. That's, that's the marketing or environment or what you think you're having yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. thing. But, but there are definitely, there's definitely a lot more quality if you are getting a good beer. Nice. So to move it on to the questions which we ask everyone, the kind of staple questions of travel talks. Mm-hmm. The first question is, what is your favourite city in the entire world and why? Besides Norwich, um, I genuinely, mm. I, I always talk about Norwich. People think I'm joking, but I do genuinely believe yeah. Norwich is the greatest, greatest city in the UK and it is up there with with the others. I mean, Vancouver, I love because I live yeah. there. It's fantastic. I think the, the food's incredible. If you like sushi, it's unbelievable sort of cheap sushi you can get out there mm. um and it's this great sort of out, outdoorsy thing where once you get to april you could potentially you could go up to the mountains and ski in the morning and you could swim in the sea in the afternoon and you've got all that yeah. in one place i think it's and the architecture even having lived there for a year you walk around a corner you look up and you see the sort of grid system streets and down the end an enormous snow top mountain and mm. with the sun setting on it it's 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 stunning. It's absolutely beautiful. In Europe, Barcelona, I've got a lot of fond memories. In fact, that's I've got yeah. friends out in Barcelona, and um, and I, oh, there's a bit where I was seeing a girl out there. And when I was at Soccer AM, my mum had loads of air miles that mm. she got from Tesco's that she never really used. She said you can have yeah. them. So I was booking <laughs> up. I was going out every other weekend. I was going to Barcelona, and I would finish. Wow. I'd finish the show at um, Soccer AM at twelve. I'd get a flight, maybe around two somewhere and i'd go to barcelona i'd come back the tuesday morning go straight to work and i was just doing that every other week for a bit and (laughs) to the point that in in my social group in barcelona some people i remember some people were talking to my friends and saying oh um they'd be going out like on a thursday night and go oh we should get robbie out and they go oh no robbie's (laughs) no robbie's robbie's in the uk at the minute they go what's he doing there goes well, he lives there and he doesn't live here. <laughs> so he was just basically there all the time. So I think so Barcelona, I think, is my favourite city in Europe. Again, you've got the mixture of incredible food, incredible mm. bars, uh, beautiful architecture, um, mm. stunning scenery, beach, just a great lifestyle. I think Spanish people are brilliant. I like siestas, I like the lot. 
um okay so favorite you've got favorite city favorite country are we safe to say this is canada or is there something else that we haven't talked about i yet? don't know if it's canada i'm not sure i like vancouver I like whistler the problem with canadians is <laughs> this... never heard that phrase before <laughs> no, well, yeah this is it is the yeah. niceness because everyone okay. says canadians are so nice it's not true there are idiot <laughs> canadians as well the problem is everyone is outwardly nice so you can't tell right. what someone's like so if you meet a british person or an Australian, you know within 10 minutes if they're a dick. Yeah, I yeah. would be hanging out with Canadian, me and other British guys would be hanging out with Canadians for like two or three weeks. And then I'd be talking to my British guys going, is this guy a prick? They're going, I think he is, yeah. I think this guy's a prick. And you just don't know because everyone's outwardly nice and it makes it so yeah. much harder to, to work people out. So for that reason, I'm discounting Canada. Favourite country... <laughs> Italy's good, but there's quite a lot of sleazy mm. guys, isn't there? There, <laughs> um, oh, it's great. I can't pick Spain again. Oh, let's go to the Netherlands. Oh, but then it's not okay. got good beaches. No. Oh, skiing. Yeah. Can I pick France? America. America's good. I'm gonna yeah. go. Let's go America. America's got everything, hasn't yeah. it? Well, I went okay. with my wife on our honeymoon to India, and it was great. We, we saw a lot of. A lot of great stuff. Went, went traveled around for for a week or two. Fantastic. But we were one one of us was constantly ill. It was like yeah. just thing. There were issues. We got hit by a steamroller at some point in our car. Um, <laughs> a lot of things went wrong. And we're going out. It's great. We kept saying, "Oh, this is great, isn't it great?" We had a flight home, and in between, people rushing to the toilet have diarrhea. We're going. <sighs> been great if we come to america and we're going yeah america's so good because like, it's brilliant <laughs> and people go oh, america those americans don't have passports go go get it i get it you yeah. can do everything yeah, yeah. you can have your beach place you can have this i'll go to america because of the variety i mean there's there's issues there some mm. some people are mental <laughs> but there's a lot going on i'm gonna pick america fair play good choice so i'm interested as, as a freelancer in theory at least you could live wherever you wanted in the world so has there ever been anywhere that you visited and you've come across and you thought potentially you could move there to live there permanently? Yeah, I mean the issue is I was when I was single, I was at Soccer AM and it was it was mm. it was hard. Um and and um I did think and I was sort of there, I think could I live in Barcelona most yeah. of the time? Could I book up flights and live full time in Barcelona? So I'd be there all the summer and get a cheap room somewhere for during the week and rent yeah. that sort of thing because wow. Barcelona at the time was an expensive place to live I did I did consider that for a bit but then you sort of freelance thing my job was sort of tied here it is the attraction of YouTube a lot of it is mm. the independence of location and if I can get to yeah. the point where I mean now I've got kids so you're sort of tied to schooling as well sort of thing but mm. what I would like to do it would be to get to the point where I can make all my money from digital stuff, podcasts, YouTube, whatever, it would mean that in the summer holidays with the kids, we could go and just live in Prague for the summer or travel yeah, around yeah. for a bit. And if you could still make YouTube videos where you're going and yeah. fly back for happy hour, if if that's still going and do things like that, then that would be the, the dream for me to be able to travel around with the family and go and see all these places and, and just experience this. Because certainly post-COVID now, my wife's, the reason we moved to Norwich is because my wife's no longer tied to commuting to London. She's going to be in the mm. office once a fortnight is the plan. Mm, so nice. um, it means you, you're not you're not stuck in one place. So that that is the attraction of of all the YouTube stuff, really. 
Love it. Uh, would you say in general you prefer cities or more rural travel destinations? Cities, I think. Um, mm. Yeah, because I never really go to the countryside. I prefer cities to beaches or something like that. Or cities or, or places. Yeah. Then I suppose like a ski resort's rural. I like stuff to do. I get bored. Yeah. yeah. There. yeah. I, I mean, and the good thing is if you're in a city, you can generally do little day trips out on a train out to somewhere more rural sort of thing. If you're mm-hmm. in Barcelona, you can go down the coast of Sitges or something and... and yeah. Um hang out there for a bit. There's lots of lots of things to do. I I like I, I think Barcelona is sort of the ideal place for me in that it's got the beaches and the city sort of things. So you can have lots of holidays in one because I will yeah. get full. But then and then like but New York's fantastic and and because you, there's lots of stuff there and you can just go eating and drinking for yeah. a week without doing anything else I'd be completely happy so yeah stuff to do is the key thing for me nice talking of eating and drinking let's move on to food now oh. would you consider yourself a foodie to start with I like eating food <laughs> <laughs> foodie sounds like foodie makes it always makes it sound a bit sort of knobheady doesn't it foodie yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I'm really into this sort of thing but I mean but yeah I guess so yeah no, I do like going to nice nice places to eat and always yeah. and I don't mean like expensive things I've got I've got a few friends my friend's Desi and Fonz are quite wealthy. And I went out with them and Tim Lovejoy to Copenhagen mm. recently. And they're, they're into their food and they're both work very well off. And they ordered like this, we went to this market, and they ordered like caviar and oysters and all mm. this. It's nice. I get that. But I was looking yeah. at the place and it was nice. But I was looking around, I was thinking, oh, pizza over there looks unreal. Oh, sort of yeah. thing. So, so a lot yeah. of the time I, I like going to not necessarily the high-end restaurants, but I like having sort of authentic local food and stuff like that and, and experiencing yeah. different things. That's my favourite bit. That's one of the best bits of travelling, eating and drinking. Mm. So on that, where would you say is the best country for food if you could narrow it down to it's one? It's Italy, isn't it? Italy's yeah. the only correct answer. Because you've got, <laughs> you've got such variety of, of stuff, pizza and pasta, and they do great sort of seafood and all of this and... and yeah, I mean, I don't think any country comes close to it. Coffee's great as well. I love when you're yeah. at a station in Italy and the people just go up. You've got a little kiosk on the platform. People go up, just order espresso, knock it back and carry on with their day sort of thing. Yeah, like that. It's, yeah, like a, yeah. it's like a functional part of, of, <laughs> of the day sort of thing, but you've still got amazing stuff. And also when you get we, to Europe as well, I mean, with, with beer as well. I, mean, I remember in the days before craft beer was big, you'd go to somewhere in Europe. This has gone off Italy, so I think more Germany now, but you'd go somewhere like that and you have beer and go why is this nice why isn't our yeah. beer like this sort of thing? Why, why don't we not have this as an option that we do now but yeah italy i think is the, the best is anyone to give any other answers it's a pretty common answer i'd say yeah. japan the sushi like japan, japan yeah sushi's come up quite a few times yeah mm. i don't know if I'm, i mean i love sushi but i'm gonna have breakfast sushi yeah, yeah exactly i don't know that's the thing yeah. like india i love curry and it's good out yeah. there but the problem with india for food is the diarrhea and all this sort of yeah. thing like that. they need to do you know what they need to do in india they need to get everyone just take one day everyone take, gets one day off work get all of india together in the morning teach them basic food hygiene and in the <laughs> afternoon teach them uh, agree on basic driving rules because yeah. there are those two things would the country would be a global superpower in a week yeah. <laughs> They can sort Love those it. two issues out. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, it, uh, yeah, India's great. And there's, there's lots of good good countries with food, but yeah. Um, yeah. Nice. So if we had to push you for a, a particular dish, maybe a pizza or a pasta, or it could be somewhere else as well. I mean, that pizza in Italy, just that street pizza is mm. incredible. Uh, I say Vancouver, the sushi you get in Vancouver is phenomenal. Yeah. It's so cheap. Like you get a, 
a meal that would cost you 30, 40 quid here for under a tenner in Vancouver, nice. and a lot of, sort of cheap little local sushi places. The nachos at Merlin's in Whistler are a <laughs> one of the wonders of the world. Oh, I'm going to go for Merlin's nachos. They're incredible. Google this them after. Google them. Anyone <laughs> listening, look, Merlin's, Merlin's Whistler nachos, and you will see what I'm talking about, because it is like no nachos you've seen before. <laughs> awesome. And we asked this question. It's like the negative angle to this positive podcast. Okay. And it's the place that you would never go back to. Never say never, but the worst place I've ever been in my <laughs> life is um, Tijuana in Mexico. I don't know if anyone's okay, ever yeah. familiar with it. And I'll tell you why. It's because it's the border place just below San Diego. It's the bit where America and Mexico meet on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And you get the mix of American between the ages of 18 and 21 who can't legally drink at home going to get (laughs) drunk for the first time and the worst people in Mexico coming to take advantage of the drunk 18-year-old Mexican people combining in this cesspit of horror, (laughs) horror, of just, just, it's horrendous. It's funny for about two hours and then you've got to get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What about a place from your travels that feel that you feel like you need to go back to? Someone that you explored a little bit and thought, you know what, I'll go back. I would like to go back to Australia. I went there once, but my daughter was nine months old, so I, we mm. were staying. We were visiting friends and that, but I didn't really get to do much stuff. I'd like to go back and and experience Australia properly because I know lots of incredible Australians, and and I think it's a fantastic. Yeah country i've not just not done it properly nice so the final question the big one i suppose looking ahead into the future everyone's got a bucket list or at least places they want to visit at some point in their life what would you say tops that bucket list for you i don't know if there's what this country i'd like to spend more time in south america i've I've not Mm. i I loved loved um brazil when i was there i went into costa rica and that was fantastic um i would like it's probably gonna be a skiing thing I'd just like to do more of the big American ski resorts. I think yeah. I'd love to go to Aspen or Vail, mm-hmm. Breckenridge, some of these 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 sort of big, huge mountain resort resorts, and just experience those. And I imagine I probably will in the next few years. But I, yeah, those, those those sort of big things that you've you've read so much about or seen so much about, and, and ski some of the famous runs and, and stuff like that. I'd like to do maybe Vail. Let's go for Vail. Nice. nice. Robbie Knox, this has been an absolute pleasure having you on, talking through all your travel stories and going in, talking about beer. I mean, that beer conversation, that's a big yeah, blow my it. mind. It's made me think about it in different ways. Um, before we wrap up, we'd love to give you the opportunity to push to everything you've got going on, YouTube, podcast, beer. You know, Where can people find you and what can they expect to see? Okay, um, YouTube, if you like YouTube videos, I do for YouTube videos more so when the kids are back at school uh, because at the minute I'm kind of busy. So uh, Robbie Knox, you site search on YouTube. Binday Brewing Company, YouTube as well. I'm on Instagram and Twitter fairly regularly on Happy Hour Podcast. Um, but yeah, go to Binday Brewing Company and sign up for the mailing list and you'll get notified when new beers are out if that's something you're interested in. Thanks, Robbie. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Lovely to meet you too. It's been genuinely fantastic. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. So thank you very much for having me. So there we go, mate. What an absolutely lovely bloke Robbie Knox is. It was so nice to meet him and get chatting about all the travel stories he's got. Yeah, I mean, I've known him for a while and we've had quite some quite deep conversations over the years, but mm. I did, had no idea about a lot of that. Um, nice. And he just, you know, again, that guy, what a legend. He's, the character and the stories he's got, 
Um, I'm really, really excited about, perhaps more than I should be, really excited about what is going on with the beer stuff as well. Like the progression of that over the next few years, what it sounds like. Amazing. Yeah, seriously good. I loved his attitude as well to travel, kind of encouraging everyone to step outside their comfort zone, take that trip that perhaps you've been mulling over for a little while, or even in his example, go for that beer, go for that one last beer because you never know where it's going to lead. Lovely, lovely bloke with a great attitude to life. That That is probably the best example i've ever heard of just it's like so saying good, yes isn't to something isn't it you know what that turned into unbelievable obviously we also want to know what you thought of the episode let us know what you think reach out to us via email traveltalkspodcast at gmail.com or send us a message on instagram reply to any of the little bits of content we put out on instagram uh, also twitter we always love to hear from you yeah and of course this episode is hopefully going to bring in loads of new listeners so if that's you then it'd be amazing if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you leave us a five star review it really really helps us to grow the podcast reach new listeners and we're very very grateful for those new listeners as well have a little look back at the back catalogue of Travel Talks because Mm. there will be some guests that we've had on that will interest you if you're into Robbie Knox because there's some people from similar worlds people that he's worked with people you know that have got similar stories or that sort of thing so there's definitely episodes for you. So go back, have a little listen and see what you can get up to. And of course, guys, we'll be back next week with another episode. So make sure to download the new episode next Monday. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.